0: the years, and I'll tell you what, if you can't get your, your your heart stirred by the old hymns, then there's something wrong probably with the heart, because the truth of the matter is there's such a, a message in every one of these things that just uh, is a blessing to us, and um, I know people say, well, they're outdated, and they're, they're old-fashioned. Well, I, I've got an old-fashioned gospel, so that's fine with me. Amen? And uh, it's been around for quite a while, (laughs) so I'm okay with that, not a problem. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1, and I want to spend some time uh, this afternoon um, on distinguishing marks of a joyful church. And I thank the Lord for the church that God has given us here at Keith the Heights Baptist. I'm so excited at seeing what God is doing, and uh, I was telling the preacher that I was talking to him, and I said, I don't know what what God's doing, but I'm excited to see where it's going to go from here. Uh, you know, we're not doing anything different. God has just chosen to to open the windows of heaven. It seems like in these last several months, and just pour out some blessings on our church. And I thank the Lord for that and uh, certainly has been an encouragement to me. And uh, the church at Philippi is is one of my favorite churches in, in Scripture. I love studying about it. Um, they, were, they, were, they were really a sharp church. They were on top of things, and very little is negatively said about them in Scripture at all. Paul certainly does not uh, uh, give any form of correction to them uh, in his letter that he writes to them, but he commends them. And he does encourage them to stay fast and to be steadfast and to stay strong and uh, edifies them. And uh, in here, he talks about some things that I think are are foundational principles uh, for a healthy church, or I I would call it a joyful church, if you can put it that way. I think a healthy church is a joyful church. And um, the joy of the Lord, I think, is found in it. And so I want to look at some things today. We'll look in several verses in this uh, particular letter. In the first one we find in in, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul writes this, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, I want to just stop there for a minute. Uh, It's interesting to me to watch as these apostles mature in ministry as they, they labor and go further into ministry. Over and over again, you'll find quite a few of the apostles as they got later in years in serving the Lord would refer to themselves as servants. They, they started off saying we were apostles of the Lord, and you'll find several of them as they got older in ministry began to say we're servants of the Lord. And I, I heard my dad many, many times over the years and when he was preaching make this statement. He said, you know, God doesn't need more preachers or more missionaries or more soul winners or Sunday school teachers or bus workers. What God needs are some more servants. And I thought, you know, a lot of people when they go into to serving God, if you will, if you want to put it that term on it, they are looking for a title or a position or um, to have a leadership role. And the truth of the matter is we need to be servants and to serve the Lord and be willing to serve the Lord with a humble spirit of meekness. And Paul, I think, epitomizes that. Out of all the apostles that could have gloried in his background, Paul certainly could have. Um, he was from a very affluent family, very knowledgeable family, uh, and Paul could have certainly gloried in a lot of things. And before he was saved, he did. He was very very haughty and very proud of himself. But you notice the humility of the Apostle Paul throughout his writings, and what a great example. In fact, he's, he's the only Apostle that the Holy Spirit allowed him to write the words, Be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. There's no other Apostle that was allowed to say those words and Paul in Timothy, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with notice this joy for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. The first mark, I think, of a successful church or a joyful church, if you will, is the fact that there is a loving influence among each other. There is a loving influence. Paul and Timothy would cease not to pray and to give thanks for the church at Philippi. It says this in verse number 3, that he thanks God upon every remembrance. And this is what he thanks God for about them. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you and always making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. We talk about fellowship here at our church, and, and I'll tell you this. I, I, don't, I don't think that it's a, uh, the main thing of a church, but I think it's a, it's a high priority of a church that a church has loving fellowship, encouraging fellowship where we edify one another, where we come together and we're, we, we know we're all imperfect. We know we're all sinners just saved by the grace of God. And we try to be a help and an encouragement to uplift one another, to motivate one another, to uh, to encourage to... The Bible talks about edifying to love and to good works. And the idea that we're trying to encourage one another. Paul speaks of this. One of the great things that he and Timothy uh, think of often and pray for often here at this church in Philippi is for their fellowship in the gospel. He goes on to say this from the first day until now. And I've, I've known churches and some of y'all have known churches. I'm sure I've heard some of your backgrounds. Some of you have shared with me how there are some churches you go into and they start off great. And then before long, they start having issues or problems. And then uh, they may go to another church or some other place and be in a situation. And uh, I think one of the great things of a church is that there is a loving fellowship, a loving kindred spirit that is always prevailing in the church, that, that there not uh, come any bitterness or strife or contention in the church uh, between folks, but that there's a, a loving influence of laboring together in the gospel. And it talks about this, that it's always, it's something that is consistent with this. He says, from the first day until now. And there's a lot to be said. I'm thankful the ladies had their little fellowship yesterday, even though I missed out on the food. Miss Evelyn told me that the reason that was was because we had our men's thing and we didn't invite the ladies, so I didn't get an invite. But uh, there's that bitterness, that division of fellowship we were just talking about. But, you know, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful uh, the ladies... uh, got this thing together, and I, I, was, I was excited to hear about it. I think that's such a great thing for our church. I like when our men get together. I like when we get together as a whole church and have things together. I think that's helpful. Uh, it encourages each other and one another. And I think it's one of the marks of a joyful church, a distinguishing mark of a joyful church, is when there is a spirit of loving kindness and encouragement to one another. The second one we find is in verse number 6. The Bible says this, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think one of the other distinguishing marks of a joyful church is a church that takes has confidence in the word of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't we don't uh, preach things or teach things based on man's opinion. At least we strive not to. I hope I hope we keep my opinions out of things. And if I ever share an opinion with you, I usually preface it with this is what I think. And I try to make sure that's very, very clear. But when we come to our church, we don't want to hear what Brother Greg thinks about something. We want to hear what does the Bible say. And one of the marks of a church that I think is a joyful church and a church that has, uh, uh, is, is moving forward and thriving is a church that is excited about founding everything they do on the Word of God. Everything they look for in the way they, they perform the church, in the way they do the, conduct the church business, in, in the way they go about doing ministry, they always come back to what does the Bible say. And can I tell you this? There's great confidence in that. We can rest easy at night knowing that what we're doing and accomplishing as a church is right because it's what the Bible says we're to do. And we don't have to put it upon some man or some thoughts or some ideas of somebody else and say, well, they're fallible, so it could be wrong. There's a great peace, isn't there? There's a great uh, resting of our spirits when we can say we wholly lean upon the Word of God. We want to know what does this Bible say. And if we find out we're wrong about something, then we want to change it to line up with the Bible. That's, that's our desire as a church. Uh, I've told people in our church before, and uh, some of you that are still fairly new to our church, I don't think, sometimes I think you may not quite understand this, but as a pastor, I am, I am thankful when somebody approaches me after a service and says, pastor, have you ever looked at this this way? Maybe there's something there we need to look further at." Because I'm fallible like anybody else. And I try not to be. We try to study and and be prepared. But I'm thankful when we have a church that is so devoted to being right doctrinally and about the Bible, that even if the pastor gets up and says something a little bit off from what the Bible says, I'm thankful when people will come and say, Pastor, I think you might have got that one wrong. Let's look at that again. And man, I, I, I take joy in that. Because there's a church that is so devoted to being right scripturally. And that is our goal, isn't it? As a pastor, I know that's our goal. And if I'm wrong, I want to know I'm wrong so we can get it right. And if you're wrong, I want you to know you're wrong so we can get it right. We're not attacking each other. We're helping each other. We're trying to be a blessing to each other. And my door is always open. Don't ever feel bad. I know some of you have been like, well, I don't know if I can go talk to him. You're always welcome to do that. And we want to make sure that there is a confidence in our church of being founded upon the Bible principles. If we're wrong, then let's change them. Let's make sure we are lined up with Scripture. And there's a great... I think that's a mark of a joyful church, a church that can rest easy, a church that can smile when they come to church and say, boy, we enjoy going there because we follow the Bible and we do what the Bible says. Then I find that we get down to verse number 9. Paul says this, he says, and, I, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I think that a joyful church is a church that is growing in their knowledge, and by that they are also seeing their, their senses exercised, To discern between what is good and what is wrong, what is evil. The the Bible speaks of it here and it uses the word judgment. That we are growing in knowledge and in judgment. I, I, I told somebody the other day, I said, our church is growing by leaps and bounds at least it seems like to me. And I'm not talking about numbers. We're not talking about putting a number on the board. But to see the excitement and the, the glint in the eye when people in our church say, Boy, I've learned this about the Scripture. i found this in Scripture. Oh, it's been so exciting to see. Can I tell you, there's a joy in that in a church when we begin to grow in knowledge and we have our, our discernment, our judgment that, that the Holy Spirit helps us with in making right choices and right judgments on the things of the Word of God. And so I think that there's a, a joyfulness in spiritual maturity Can we use that word for this today? Spiritual maturity, that we're growing in knowledge and an ability to judge rightly. Look down in verse number 27. I love this verse, a very familiar verse. A lot of people quote this one. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. By the way, the word conversation here is dealing with our lifestyle, how we live our lives. It's not speaking specifically about the words that we say. It's dealing about our whole manner of life, if you will he says this, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word becometh is a word that was used. And some of y'all, when you were little, um, you might wear an outfit or something, and someone would say that's very becoming, meaning that's, that's very appropriate. It's very fitting for the occasion. It's very sharp. It looks nice. Would it be that our lives would be that? And it says here, our lifestyle, our conversation would be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that our life would be in line with Scripture and it would be very becoming of Scripture. That people could look at our life and say, there's a Christian that patterns their life after the Bible. And he says this, whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know what helps us to be becoming of the gospel? Of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? To have spiritual unity. He says this about this idea of letting our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says that uh, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In the 1904 World's Fair, they had a competition of draft horses, And they were trying to see which draft horse could pull the most weight. And I don't remember the exact poundage and numbers that they had, but I'm going to use some numbers, and if they're wrong from the original story, um, just understand the principle of what I'm trying to tell you with the illustration. Um, It's a true story. It actually happened. But the winning horse, and I'm going to say uh, pulled, I think, maybe 8,000 pounds by himself. Uh, The second horse that came into uh, uh, second place could pull 7,000 pounds by himself. After all the awards were done, the the folks that were doing the competition said, I wonder what it would be like if we harnessed these two together. How much weight could they pull? Do you think they could pull 15,000 pounds between them? I mean, one had pulled eight and one had pulled seven. And logic would say, well, they could pull 15,000 pounds. So they harnessed them together, and they pulled 15,000 pounds with ease. So they started upping the weight, saying, I wonder how much more they can pull. By the time they were done, they were almost double- the weight that they expected them to pull together. And can I tell you this, that two can do far more than each of them can do individually. If we strive together for the faith of the gospel, we can accomplish far more than if we individually go out here on our own and attempt it. And Paul knows this. He talks about there being a unity of spirit. The idea that we're of one mind, of one accord, and the fact that there is a spiritual unity. I think that's a mark of a joyful church when we begin to think alike and we begin to have the same heart and the same desires for the things of the Lord, when we begin to get burdened for the lost the same way, we begin to shed tears one for another, we begin to shed tears for those that are lost, and we begin to bear the burdens of each other. I think there's great joy in that in the church. Look with me, if you will, in chapter number 2 and verse number 3. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. I think that there's a distinguishing mark of a joyful church in humble service. You know something I've noticed in our church, and I don't mean to speak uh, higher of it than I ought to, but I don't find anybody that's trying to step up and take the glory for everything. I find a lot of people who really would rather just be in the shadows doing some work and helping the Lord. And boy, what a, what a blessing that is in the church. It's not about self-glory. It's not about self-promotion. It's about what can we do to serve the Lord. And boy, I'll tell you, it's been such a blessing to watch and to see. The idea that there is a humility in serving God. It's a mark of a joyful church. I mean, this church at Philippi was an incredible church. One of the great commendations that Paul gives them is that they are a church. That he says uh, that they are not uh, doing things with strife. They're not doing things with, for vainglory's sake, but in lowliness of mind, they're serving and they're laboring together. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a church that looks to those things. Not on, not on how much can I... Have you ever seen, been in a church or you've seen people like this? Uh, they do something and they get their feelings hurt because nobody patted them on the back for it. Have you ever seen that? I, I've seen it a lot. You know, I, I'm grateful, and I think we ought, to, we ought to encourage each other when we see him do when we see people working and laboring, but we ought not get our feelings hurt if somebody doesn't recognize us. We weren't doing it for them anyway. We were doing it for the Lord. There's a humility of service there, and oh, what a joy it is. And I think one of the distinguishing marks of a joyful church is a church that is full of folks that know how to serve with humility. And then I think lastly, as we get to Philippians chapter number 2, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 21. Philippians chapter number 2. And verse number 21. Uh, Let's back up verse number 19. We'll get a running start into it. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may uh, be a good comfort when I know of your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. He's saying, you know what? I don't have anybody I can send to you but Timotheus. He's the only one that is like-minded, that's not after the vainglory. He's going to come in here and he's going to not seek his own uh, prosperity or his own popularity, but he's going to come trying to do those things which glorify God. And can I tell you this? I'm thankful when we have a church that seeks to glorify God first. It's not about man's glory. It's about glorifying God thus minded, that we seek after not the things of our own, but the things of the Lord. The things that we think are, are the most important on our punch list of things, the priorities that we have, it, be, it becomes all about the things of the Lord. There are several things here that I think make up the marks of a, distinguishing marks of a joyful church. That there's a loving influence of laboring together, one of another. Confidence in the Lord. The fact that there is spiritual maturity in knowledge and in judgment, that there is a spiritual unity among us, that we're all like-minded, humility and service, and a desire to bring glory to God in everything that we do. I'll tell you what, that ought to be something we ought to strive for. And I think these are things that we ought to put before us every day. And when we start seeing things depart from that, begin to slip or slide from those things, then we need to get on our faces and say, Lord, help bring us back to where we need to be. That we can be a joyful church, a church that is glorifying to you, and I hope this will be a help to us today all right well, let 's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer father we're so grateful and thankful for your word. We pray that you'll help us to learn from it there's so many things that could be said, and yet uh, Lord, just the simplicity of your word oftentimes is the most effective we're thankful for the fact that you give us the privilege here to meet together we're thankful for the wonderful body that you have uh, so fitly framed together, just the family that is, is here and, uh, Lord, the, the spirit of edification and the humbleness of, of the folks that are here, and the joy and the desire to serve you, to bring glory to you, the desire to be scriptural and biblical, that we would hold fast and, and steadfast to the truth of your word. Father, may we always continue to labor in such things that we would strive to be a church that is a joyful church, a successful church, a growing church. And, Father, that you would bless uh, each and every one of us as we labor together for the gospel. I pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we would be becoming of the gospel of the Jesus Christ. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.